On today's episode, do injury resistant runners have special qualities? A 2021 research paper. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Okay, as I like to do from time to time, uh, I like to find some insightful research papers that have just come out, or sometimes they're a couple of years ago. Um, sometimes they're some of my favorites and just uh, thought I'd turn them into an episode just so we keep our finger on the pulse for what the evidence has shown. And while we're not, I try not to cherry pick evidence as best I can, but I, whenever I read papers, which I do quite often, um, if there's a topic that I'm like, oh, that that's really interesting to share with the listeners. Um, you might find that I do uh, post weekly articles uh, on social media, but those that are really good and I think are really interesting, I thought I share, I'd share on the uh, Turn Into a Podcast episode. And so today's episode, the title of the paper, like I said in the, the intro, it's um, printed 2021, so very recent. Um, the title is Do Injury Resistant Runners Have Distinct uh, Have Distinct Differences in Clinical Measurements Compared to Recently Injured Runners? And so that already piques my interest, the title. So what is it about these injury resistant runners, which we'll talk about the definition in a second. Um, why aren't they getting injured? Is it the way they're running? Is it strength? Is it some other quality um, compared to runners who have been recently dealing with an injury. Um, so this paper was done by um, the lead author was Sarah Sarah Dillon and colleagues. And like I said, it was in 2021. And I just want to say a big thanks to Rich Blagrove, who's now just a, a long-term friend of the podcast. He um, provided me with this paper, so sent it via email. So thanks a lot for that, Rich. Um, so I, I thought I'd delve into the intrinsics of this study and the types of groups that they section people off into and why they've chosen those. Um, so you'd probably guess based on the the title itself that they're separating different type of runners and they're going to put them through a few clinical measures. So based on the group selection, they um, spread runners into three different groups based on their characteristics. So here's a couple of quotes or a couple of statements that I've just copied and pasted from that article. Um, One group of runners frequently studied are those who have recently recovered from an injury and returned to play. So someone who has been injured um, 
less than 12 months ago, and they have since recovered. Uh, this group is of interest because they're thought to have no longer retained the acute effects of an injury itself, but may maintain um, factors related to that injury given the high risk of re-injury uh, in this period of time. So recent, recently injured groups, um, and they'll label that this group recently injured. So someone who has had an injury within the past 12 months, but has since um, in the in the past couple of months have since overcome that injury, but they still might be facing some sort of factors that might increase their risk of injury. Because we know that if there's a risk of re-injury, it's usually in that 12 months. If you surpass that 12 months, the risk of re-injury um, reduces. And so that's one particular um, population worth discussing. A second group of runners worth studying are those who have recovered from an injury but have not experienced a re-injury in more than two years. So this is who we call the acquired um, re-injury resistance group. And it's logically to, to study this group um, because they're less likely to retain the risk factors associated with uh, re-injury. And so if you compare those two, you're looking at um, one group who has recently been injured and two, one who has been injured, but they've overcome it for the past two years and it hasn't resurfaced. And so they have been not injured for more than two years. That's Both of those groups are worth exploring together to see if there's any differences. The third and final group, the I'll say that again, the third and final group worth examining um, and perhaps the most interesting would be those who have never been injured. Those runners who have never broke down, who have never faced an injury, um, and we'll go about the definition of an injury in a second, but they're extremely interesting. Um, we really want to know what's going on with them, how they're running, what their strength is like, what their mobility is like. Um, so they're the three different type of groups that this particular study has um, has mentioned. I do want to put in here, um, I think I commented further down. Um, so they excluded participants who have been injured between one and two years previously. Um, so that was done to make sure there's a clear difference between the recently injured and the acquired re-injury resistance group um, because then it might it might muddy the waters a little bit. The spectrum might just be too close together. So if you have people less than 12 months and you have more, uh, those runners more than two years, those factors are clearly defined and there's a big gap between the two rather than just saying less than 12 months and more than 12 months and there might be a little bit of gray area in between. Um, so that's why they've chosen those three groups. So the running injury, the definition that they used, um, I'll just read the quote. So a running related injury was defined as any musculoskeletal pain in the lower limbs that caused a restriction or stoppage of running. So that either being distance, speed, duration, or any sort of training for at least seven days or three consecutive scheduled training sessions, or that require a runner to consult a physician or other health professional. And so that's what they defined as a an injury, which they, they seem to follow very similar guidelines for all the other studies that I've looked at. Um, regarding what's the definition of an injury. Because we know that runners, say if they're preparing for a marathon, they might get a niggle 
they might get a sore foot or a sore ankle, but it doesn't stop what they're doing. Um, it doesn't put them out of training. They just monitor it and then it just spontaneously gets better in a week or two. So this particular definition, it needs to be in the lower leg. It needs to um, cause restriction or stoppage of any category of that running being distance, speed, duration, um, for at least seven days. So someone might get injured, have a sore knee and take say four days off, but then they're back to running their normal stoppage. They're, they're back to running their normal dosages. Um, that wouldn't be a def that wouldn't fall within this definition. Like I said, because runners get niggles all the time and they, they do, over, they can be overcome quite quickly, um, given individual circumstances. Um, so I think this definition is, um, really nice. So, um, to classify them as runners, the researchers, they measured um, 223 recreational runners and they needed to run a minimum of 10 kilometers per week. And um, they needed to have done that for at least six months. And also they excluded people who participated in team sports. So they excluded the team sports because we they didn't want an injury to arise that wasn't a running related injury. So the change in direction or um, maybe it was trauma-based, maybe it was um, a tackle or, you know, like a pivot, those sort of injuries may not be running related. And so they just want to exclude anyone who participated in sports just so that we know that if there's an injury that we're talking about, it is um, going to be a running related injury. So they found 116 people in the recently injured group. They found 61 runners who have um, placed in that acquired re-injury resistance. Um, so those who have been injured but have managed to overcome that injury for more than two years. Then they found 46 runners who have never been injured. And so the next part of the study, okay, we've got these people. Uh, what tests should we put them through? And um, what they have here, a comparison of the three groups were uh, may provide important insight into three clinical-based factors, possibly that have in the past related to running-related injuries. So they used three domains, one being muscle strength, so doing a whole bunch of muscle strength tests. Two, having a look at um, the functional foot alignment, so having a look at what their foot position's like, having a look at if there's any um, functional, like, pronation or functional, what they call navicular drop. Uh, and then the third domain being joint range of motion and just doing some like range tests. And so that's the three domains that they chose and they hypothesize. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Guys, um, another quote in the study, it was hypothesized that those with the high level of injury resistance, that being those who have never been injured or those who have overcome an injury uh, for more than two years, they may have advantageous clinical measures of strength. They may have um, superior, say, foot alignment 
and better joint mobility compared with the recently injured group. That's just their hypothesis, um, what they hope to find or what they're expecting to find when they do all these tests. Uh, I can break this down into a little bit more, um, a little bit more detail. So the runners, um, first of all, to participate in the study, they completed an online survey which looked at their injury history and their training history to then like classify them in one of those three groups. And then when it came to testing, they came into um, a lab, into a clinic, and they they tested the isometric strength of uh, people's hip abductors. So pushing the hip outwards, hip extension. So um, moving the hip or the, the straight leg backwards, knee flexion, knee extension, and plantar flexion, which is kind of like doing a calf raise. So they tested the isometric strength. So that's um, holding the muscle, like moving that muscle as strong as you can against a force without the, the muscle actually moving. And so if you place, if you stand sideways onto a wall with a wall by your side and you get your, um, your foot closest to the wall and you push into that wall and your job is to push into that wall as hard as you can. You're abducting your leg against the wall. Nothing's moving, but you're, um, you're pushing that as hard as you can and they're measuring the force how forceful you are pushing into that wall. That's very similar to like a isometric strength test, um, but you need some devices to know how much force you're producing, um, which they had. So they were the isometric tests. They also looked at joint motion. So they looked at an- your ankle dorsiflexion, which is like a knee to wall test, looking at how mobile your ankle is um, at bringing your knee over your toes. Hip extension, they looked at that range hip internal rotation and external rotation. Um, so those sort of movements were assessed. They observed people's navicular drop, which is a bone in the foot. So in sitting, uh, you just have the foot in like a neutral position. They mark how, how high off the floor that navicular bone is. Then when you stand, they look at to see how far that um, navicular bone has dropped towards the floor because if it's dropped quite a lot, you're most likely to be more of that flat foot pronated type. So they measured that. Um, They measured people in this, what they call the foot posture index. So doing a whole bunch of measurements of the foot to then categorize people into highly supinated, supinated, neutral, pronated, or highly pronated um, categories. So any of those five. Um, Then they measured people's weight. They measured people's height and saw like they tried to find if there's any differences between those three groups. And so let's dive into results. Okay, let me open up these results. Uh, Let me scroll down. So um, no significant difference was found for any of the demographic variables. So when it came to all of those three um, different groups, if you were to compile all of them, there was no difference in height, in weight, and age between the three groups. So the demographic variables were, there was no significant difference, which is nice. It's what we want to know. Um, okay. So strength, interestingly enough, let me, um, highlight the three dot points that I have tests revealed that recently injured runners. So the ones that, um, had faced an injury, uh, between three to uh, 12 months and the acquired re-injury resistance runners, they, both of those, um, groups, had a significantly greater plantar flexion strength than never injured runners. So essentially 
their ability to um, push off the ground, their calf strength, you could say, um, was greater compared to the never injured runners, those very resistant to injury runners. Dot point number two, recently injured runners had significantly greater hip abduction strength compared to never injured runners. So they're stronger around the hips with their glutes um, to produce that, that action. Dot point number three, a trend towards significance existed for greater strength amongst the recently injured group compared to the acquired injury resistance group, although this did not reach significance. So what they're saying here is if we've got those first two groups, the group one, the recently injured group, and group two, the ones who have overcome an injury by more than two years, this, there's almost a significance between the recently injured runners to have greater strength compared to those who have um, not faced an injury in two years or overcome their injury by more than two years. Uh, it didn't reach significance, but they saw there was a trend heading in that direction. So they're the three dot points I have for strength. I'll summarize this in a second. Um, joint motion. So if we're looking at the range of motion for all of them, uh, was there any differences? I have two dot points here. So the first dot point I have here says that there was no interaction effect. Um, so no interaction effect was found between injury status and joint range of motion or those sort of values. And they've put a quote here, although hypermobility, which is too much range of movement or excessive range of motion um, and hypomobility, which is rigidity or reduced range of motion. So although hypermobility and hypomobility have been proposed to relate to musculoskeletal injury, a definitive link has not been established um, in relation to running related injuries. So they haven't, they haven't shown any conclusive stuff with, with those particular findings. The navicular drop, that foot bone drop that I was discussing before, there was no difference found between the injury status and the range of motion values or navicular drop. So whether you're rigid in your range of movement, whether you're hypermobile in your movement, or whether you have a large range of movement, whether you have a large navicular drop compared to um, yeah, a rigid kind of values, there's no difference between these three groups. So important to know. Um, foot posture. So there was a significant interaction effect between sex and injury status for this foot posture index. So females with the acquired re-injury resistance had significantly lower values compared to recently injured females. So they're kind of dividing this into gender now. <clears throat> We've divided into those three groups of injury. Now we're subdividing those groups um, because they have found something in here. So the median score for the acquired re-injury resistance group, so that second group we're talking about, um, placed them in a more of a neutral category for their foot posture. And the median score for the recently injured runners classified them as pronated. And so that might be a just a subsequent finding, um, maybe coincidental, uh, but that's just what they've found putting those together. However, they then have done this um, chi square test, which... Some when you're compiling a whole bunch of stats, um, this is kind of like a, a test that tries to find if there's a correlation between groups um, when you have particular points of data. So this chi-square test of independence, um, that showed that there was no significant association between foot posture index 
and these three groups of um, classifications. So yeah, the search continues. Um, symmetry angle, I did have one dot point here, um, which they commented. So no interaction effects between injury status and sex were found for symmetry angle of any variable. So females displayed greater asymmetry of knee flexion strength compared to males, um, but was indifferent between groups. So if you're getting tested um, and you have like, just for example, if they were to test your knee flexion strength, so it's kind of assessing your hamstring strength and you find that there's an asymmetry there, um, that asymmetry was found in all groups, even the ones who have never been injured. So interesting finding, but um, yeah, thought I'd just add that in there. So the conclusion that they have, I've got two quotes that I've pulled from this study in terms of their conclusion. So our our findings largely did not support our hypothesis and injury resistant and never injured runners would have potentially distinctive clinical features and differences between injury groups were mostly non-significant. So I guess you can make that conclusion as well. Just me just reviewing some of these dot points of their findings. Um, It didn't seem to match their hypothesis. They did have quite nice numbers, um, quite a lot of numbers to to build a, a good group, but it seems that they just haven't come across anything. So Um, their second quote here in their conclusion, contrary to their hypothesis, knee flexion, knee extension, hip extension strength were not significantly different between these three injury groups, um, suggesting the greater strength of these muscle groups is not a characteristic of acquired re-injury resistance or never injured runners. So makes us ponder, makes us question a few things, which is why I want to pick this, um, this article and um, produce it to you because I do think these are these are quite interesting. Something that goes on the contrary to what people expect. Um, it's really nice to share these sort of findings. But the study itself did have some limitations, um, some that I identified and some that the paper itself published. So this is a, a, a really worth highlighting. So it, they said in our study, 87% of the recently injured runners they participated in a rehabilitation program, um, which could have increased their um, the strength findings that they have found. Because if you recall, when it came to our results, the recently injured runners had more strength, more plantar flexion strength and more hip abductor strength um, than the other groups. But if you're injured, you're also most likely to do some sort of rehabilitation program. And so that's it's interesting that they found in this study that when they surveyed the recently injured runners, 87% of those recently injured runners had participated in some form of rehab program. So they're probably more likely to be stronger, even if it's just like a recently stronger um, population. So interesting to point that out. Um, another limitation, like the isometric strength tests that they do doesn't really reflect running strength. Like there's a lot of better, um, tests that they could have done because we know that running is very concentric, eccentric driven. So you're the joints and the muscles, they're moving, they're producing force as you're moving. Um, so testing out that might be a little bit more accurate for running strength compared to what they tested, which was that isometric strength. Um, the third limitation I had, which was a quote in the study, 
that the, um, they said the retrospective design of this study limits the ability to definitively ascertain whether the groups, the differences between groups are a result of injury or um, causative in nature. So it's retrospective means they're just like, they're not finding injured runners. They're looking back and saying, have you been injured? So they're, they're um, retrospectively following these runners, gathering the data and then trying to compile the two. So um, it's really hard to say that strength reduces the risk of injury. You can't actually say that. Like even if there were, even if they were to find results that suited their hypothesis, so let's just say they found that never injured runners were a lot stronger than these recently injured runners, you can't say that, you can't then say, okay, strength reduces risk of injury because it's retrospective. It's um, very hard to draw those conclusions. And so just based on the nature of the study um, is a limitation in itself. And lastly, um, they said in an effort to minimize recall bias. So recall bias would be like when you do these surveys and they ask about your training history, they ask about your injury history. Um, you can get that wrong. Like some people's recollection can be extremely fuzzy. And so that's what, the, uh, the, what may be like a recall bias. And what the study has done in order to minimize that is that um, they combine, they combine multiple injuries, like they have the the present of multiple injuries. The data was analyzed um, by grouping all these injuries together and then just averaging out the values from both sides. So this method is advantageous in assessing whether there are fa- uh, factors that are protective for running injuries in general, but isn't really specific to a particular injury. So they may find if they were to do the same study, but do it for say plantar fasciitis, and get a large bunch of numbers, they might find something different that way. But uh, if we know about the pathophysiology of different running running injuries, we know, say, um, a knee injury, if someone was to get patellofemoral pain, that could be an increase in load. It could also be a decrease in strength. It could also be a whole bunch of other factors. Um, but if you try and gather data from all the, the types of running-related injuries, like I said, it was anything that was to do with the lower leg um, and then try and average out these values, you find that it, you can't draw a lot of conclusions from them. So that's probably why they haven't found a lot. Um, so should we recap? Do I need to recap? Hopefully I've, um, hopefully I've explained it enough. Usually when I had the idea to start producing some of these episodes, that um, just reviewing a paper, sometimes it can get very scientific and people can lose their way a little bit um, around how it was designed and can, yeah. So I hope, hopefully I've set it out in a way that you guys can follow and understand. But um, three injury groups, three injury groups of runners, those who have recently been injured, those who have um, acquired resistance to an injury for more than two years and those who have never been injured. Strength-wise, it seems like those who have recently been injured were stronger, but they didn't find any, much differences in terms of range of movement, foot posture, foot drop, um, or range of movement. Just say range of movement? Um, and so <clears throat> that's kind of sums this up, but what can we learn from this? Um, I, d- I did come up with a couple of dot points here because I think it's worth discussing. Um, 
this paper may support our current understanding of what we know about running injuries because if I was to see this um, design, this study design, and without doing any data points, I was they were, I was to try and make a guess. Um, if we know anything from running injuries, especially back in um, season one of the podcast, especially back in season two of the podcast, um, we know that like our heavy attention, our heavy focus towards injuries and preventing injuries are around training errors, making sure we don't exceed our adaptation zone too much, make sure we don't have those spikes in training. This study design covers none of that. It doesn't, it's not even um, a focus, it's not even a part of a focus in this study. Um, and that's where we mainly draw our conclusions in season one when it comes to running related injuries. Um, but two, I guess like, in season two, um, I can't remember what the episode was called. It was probably episode 12. Um, I did highlight that evidence doesn't show strength and conditioning reduces risk of future injuries. It doesn't reduce the risk of injuries. It helps increase your running performance. Definitely strength and conditioning will do that. Helps improve your um, running economy. Strength and conditioning training will definitely do that. There's tons of evidence to show that. But in terms of strength and conditioning to reduce your risk of injury in the future, there is still yet um, research to uh, to conclude that, to find that conclusion. Um, because injuries are so multifactorial, do I recommend strength and conditioning to reduce your risk of injuries? Absolutely. Is there evidence to show it? No, there isn't. Um, not yet anyway. And so when we go back to this study, um, that kind of... I guess solidifies a couple of our narratives or a couple of our biases, what we know about running related injuries. Um, so I guess we can learn a bit from this study. Uh, sometimes when we read studies and this is another, another dot point of what, what we can learn from this study. Sometimes when you read the study and they don't find any correlations, um, that's sometimes just as good as studies that do find correlations. So um, it's, uh, we can learn from, we can learn from, it's similar to like if someone asks a question and the researchers don't know the answers, sometimes them saying we don't know is an answer in itself. If someone was to say we don't have the research to support that yet, um, so we can't confirm or deny, that's an answer in itself. So if a study here says that we've done this study with there's no correlation, sometimes finding that non-correlation can help us with our understanding moving forward. Um, so next time, if someone tells you like a couple of, um, what's some quotes that I hear, uh, weaker runners always get injured. Um, well, I, I know from future studies that, um, not from future studies, from past studies, <laughs> um, that weaker runners get injured just as often as strong runners do because those training errors are still there. Like those stronger runners are probably training harder, but their training errors are, um, in correlation to their strength are probably about the same. People that say you're too stiff um, to be a runner, you should be more mobile, you need to stretch more. Um, that's probably not the case. Um, it's probably a, a quote that's not really valid, not really warranted. Um, and we might learn from this study based on that. There might be, um, yeah, might help change your narrative a little bit. Um, if people say your feet are too flat for running, again, we know that there's no correlation now between never injured runners and recently injured runners regarding flat feet. While this study doesn't accurately 
or correctly like disprove these statements, um, it's still worth a debate about like whether these above statements about uh, you're getting injured if you're too weak or too stiff or you've got flat feet. Um, it's the debate is still valid. Like we, we can, um, probably follow this type of, um, article, but also other articles have been published to say, actually, that's probably not the case. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this. Um, like I said, the, um, the article, if you want to look it up, let me scroll up so I can look at the title. It's called do injury resistant runners have distinct differences in clinical measurements compared to recently injured runners. Um, it's 2021, Sarah Dillon, um, and colleagues. So if you want to look that up, you can have a, have a bit of a read yourself. Um, that's all. Um, we're also going to do something different next episode. If all goes well, um, let me scroll up. So next episode, I'm going to be talking again. It's going to be another solo episode. Um, I'm going to be talking about my recent, um, running routine. I've changed things up dramatically in my, um, running and how I'm documenting my running. So I thought I'd share my whole experience. Um, I've been doing it for about four weeks or so. And, um, yeah, I'm going to talk through that. I think I might actually put up, I might actually post my spreadsheet of like the plan that I now have my routine that I now have. So you can look at it while the episode is released. I think I might do that. Sounds like fun. Um, and then we'll do a Q and a episode. So, if you haven't already, jump into the Facebook group because that's where I post most of this stuff. That's where we engage most often. Um, if I do ask questions, um, usually the patrons get priority with asking future questions to future guests. Um, but if I still require a few more questions to be had, um, I then open the floor to the the podcast Facebook group, just the generic Facebook group and also on Instagram as well. Um, so if you wanted priority, um, come join, become a patron. That, that'd be a good way to do so. Um, and yeah, hopefully send me some feedback if you if you do like these papers, because if you do, I'll um, do more of them in the future. Like I said, as long as it helps your understanding of running, running-related injuries, increasing performance, all about what this podcast is about, um, <clears throat> I'll continue to do so. Um, so if you love it, let me know. All right, guys, let me sign off. So um, before I let you go, just remember... Every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.